So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames The Godfathers 1 and 2 But not so fast, we've got them podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Bonjour, bon vivants. <laughs> welcome bonjour. to the welcome to the We Like That podcast <laughs> with uh, Andre Jones and Jacques Inlow. Oui, oui. Coming to you from the Bon Vivant International Media Center or my basement, whichever you prefer. And this is in the public domain. It is in the public domain. So don't don't send a lawyer to us. Do not sue us. Yes. <laughs> so we put a put a little. Fr- that's enough of that. That's all the French I know. That's all the French I can endure. We 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 we. Not yeah. in my cab. You don't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank kids, you. Orchestra. Kids, kids, the orchestra. You are listening to the We Like That Too podcast. Glad to have all of our bon vivants with us. There is a reason why we were actually playing French music. Our, our listeners are going, what the hell? Yeah, what they thought they, they had tuned into the wrong yeah, thing. What are they What are they doing? There is, so, uh, yeah, there's a reason behind our madness. We so. do. We have a cool reason behind yeah. our madness. I'm excited about this show. We do. And we have a guest. We have not only a guest. We have to be nice to him. We actually have a sponsor that is on. Long overdue, Long quite overdue. frankly. Long overdue. Long overdue. Everybody's heard of this guest, but yes. they're going to finally get to hear from him today, so that's great. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Matt Green, owner, proprietor, and the head bottle washer from Barvino, Jefferson City. Let's hear it. And, and we have a studio audience. We today. have a studio audience, so if you hear wine glass clinking, it's it's... It's not an FX. It's the real thing. There oh, you go. Whoa, there. Oh, special. <laughs> special <laughs> effects. There we go. Special well, effects. Thank you very much for, for having me, Brad and Keith. This is uh, a great opportunity. And, uh, I mean, first first of all, we at Barvino love to sponsor new things and be a part of anything that's awesome. And, obviously, we think you guys are both awesome. And your well, podcast is awesome. Our so. Bon Vivants out there know about you because we do we every bottle we taste. We say where it comes from. We give you uh, – you are our, our charter sponsor. That's right. And um, we couldn't have done it without you, the, the bottles that you sponsor. So thank you for helping us get this thing off the ground. And we're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, so thanks for being here. Yeah. We're no going to have some fun today. Cheers. You always remember your first, Matt. You – <laughs> this is true. So there you go. This is true. So there you go. I remember my first mat. It said "Welcome" on it, it right, right in front of the door. And very good, Mister Inlow. He's quick this afternoon. And I'll be here all week. Here's the deal. Trying the veal. We we, we, yeah, we, no we needed to get another half a bottle into Mister Keith before every show. Oh, Middle goodness. note. So anyway, tell us a little bit, Matt, um, because. We really feel like family as far as Barvino because we talked about this uh, even maybe even before you found a space downtown. And you you came to us and said, 
what do you think, you know, about this and that? And, and we said – and the big question, do you really think that a wine store in Jeff City would even work? You know, do you think people would come? Do you – you know, we talked about it. But, I mean, this is right at the beginning. Well, the, the, the four integral people whose opinion I really valued are all right here in the studio. <laughs> and what I really focused on when we were when we were first – talking about starting Barvino was all the things that could go wrong because I knew about all the things I dreamed about all the things that could go right. But the things that could go wrong were the things that we were worried about. And, um, and, and your opinions and your beliefs about the whole project really made it all happen. And the, the reason why Barvino exists is because my wife, Ashley and I, really wanted some place like Barvino to go in Jefferson City and there was no place like it. And yeah. that was the that was the thing that resonated every time we had a conversation about Barvino uh Barvino's existence was we need a place like this. Yeah. Let's let's just do it. And so well, we talked we, we talked about Jefferson City, you know, it's, it has a rich Germanic heritage because of who settled in this area. And it's a big beer town. It's a huge beer town. And so I know Brad and I and, and, and everybody else, when Barvino opened, the wine drinkers came out of the woodwork. We had I don't think we had any realization how many wine lovers there were in Jefferson City. Because we were, to your credit, you have a full bar with beer, many beer options also. Cocktails. Cocktails, whiskeys. distilled spirits. Yep. But the wine club... The wine drinkers, they really just came out of the woodwork. And I was like, yes, I knew they were out there. But it was almost like we were afraid to step forward, uh, be called snobby or whatever the case <laughs> may be when it comes to wine. It's been a, a pleasant uh, surprise to see all of the wine drinkers and how they've supported Barvino and, and the wine club. Yeah, I mean, absolutely one of the most important things, uh, one of my most important goals to accomplish with Barvino is to make wine easy. Beer is easy. You, you, you pick one, you drink it, and you enjoy it, and that's it. And that's how – that's really truly how wine should be. It should not be complicated and scary and confusing and you don't have to know a foreign language to enjoy it. And and that's what we – really one of our main goals with, with Barvino is to make wine easy and approachable. And hopefully everyone who comes in has, has that experience with, with wine or with, with, with whatever beverage they choose to yeah. have. Yeah, you've got some great some great offerings down there. So, but you but branch, we, we you, want to hear more about that story. But but you branched out from that though too, though, because I think you are also looked at as the uh, as the bourbon go to guys. Right. You know, because of the fact that um, you have put things on the shelf that not everybody can get, first of all, or are familiar with. And uh, thanks to another one of our guests, yeah, uh, who has. Uh, who did a great job for us. I, I mean, I think our education on the brown water has been great too. Yeah. Kevin Perry did a, a bourbon episode and we, for And us. we can tell you, you're starting a whiskey club. Yeah. Absolutely. Kevin has without a doubt been integral in expanding our, our horizons. I mean, obviously our focus from the beginning was wine, but even though that was our focus, we didn't forget about beer and whiskey and cocktails and all other things that are um, involved with spirits, food, and other like oddball things and, and cool cocktails. We, we really wanted to be focused on wine but have everything or a little bit of everything so that everyone got a cool experience. And, and that was, you know, I, I, I think 
um, partly why we survived our, our first year. And I really don't want to talk about our second year. <laughs> well, um, but, 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 you know, as a small business person, you kind of have to talk about the second year because, Matt, you did what so many thousands of other small business people have had to do in this last year. You've had to pivot. You've had to look at the model and say, we may need to do something else. And you did something else. And <laughs> and you're here. <laughs> you're you're standing. So talk a little bit about that because I know it wasn't easy. Um, I know that you offered food and you couldn't do that. You stopped doing that. And and you really went to a more retail model. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy um, starting a business, spending all of the money that you have to to start a program to hopefully make more money. That's always the goal. And you you work so long and hard on coming up with this program, and then the the program works for the first year, and then something beyond your control changes everything, and then you pretty much have to recalculate everything you ever thought of to make that program work. And then you basically have to go for it all over again. And you're just risking everything else again. And it's, it's scary. Um, it's a lot of work. And, um, the only thing that I can say, uh, to hopefully be inspirational to a lot of people is that the most wonderful thing, the most rewarding thing about everything that I just described is that there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And if you do all the hard work and you get it all going, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It it could be successful. It very well could be disastrous and, and a complete failure, but it could be awesome. I would say you're a wine glass half full kind of guy. Huh? Absolutely. <laughs> a- absolutely. Just just do the work. Just do the work. Go after it and um, and hope for the best. You know, prepare for the worst and hope or pray for the best. Well, like any business model, though, Matt, uh, some of that credit goes to your customer base and how loyal they are. But that loyalty comes through the quality of service and product and uh, and what you offer to them. If people don't get that out of a uh, a business establishment, whether it's a restaurant, a bar, a, a dry cleaner, they're not going to come back. Nope. And you don't have that problem. You have loyal customers because you've earned that loyalty through the quality of the product and the service that you provide and the clubs and things like that. So uh, kudos to you. You're going to survive. You have survived, and you're going to survive because you've built that. Well, there's no doubt that our survival over the last 12 months was 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 crucially in the hands of our wine club members. And when we started the year, we had over 100 wine club members, and they came to bat. For Barvino, when shit hit the fan, our wine club members were there for us. All the people who helped us get going were there for us, and and we survived. Um, you know, through through hard work from the staff and myself, we we survived, and oh. we're super grateful for that. You know, we're, Keith, we're glad you. You did. know, Keith, the other thing too, when you talk about you know what what a business owner learns, think about. Think about Matt Wine Club because you had – I'll be honest with you. Wine Club was a chaotic sort of event <laughs> down there at the store because you were a product of your own success. Right. The more you had, the the crazier you got. And at some point, something clicked and said, 
you know, screw this. Let's do this one time yeah. and maybe I've got to take all the bottles and I got to take all of the glassware and stuff, but we're only going to do it once instead and of two or three sittings. Instead of two or three yeah. sittings and maybe that's going to work a little bit better. And I think people and, and it's been again, you know, the the light goes on and you think this has worked pretty well and, and people are loving it too by the way. Yeah. Oh, you get you. a chance to see. Well, you get a chance to see everybody too. I mean, right. if you've got a 4:30 sit, sitting, you don't get a chance to see See those people if you come at six thirty. So, right. uh, you know it's a, it's a it's a great opportunity uh, because as we all say, wine is to be drunk with people and friends. That um, whole description of how wine club has gone over the last eighteen months is exactly what you call growing pains. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and to be completely honest, I had no idea where it was going. Like the the plan didn't include that kind of growth. That kind of that that. Um, that quickly, and um, the the switch of venues was a bit of a blessing, um, and it's more fun. It is more people equals yeah. more fun. Almost always, almost always. If we if we do this show, if you have me back on your show again, and there's 150 people in the audience, it might be a little bit different. <laughs> but Yee. but. More, more is better. I'm not more sure the, better. the media center will hold 150 people. Jacques, I don't think we can get that many people down <laughs> you here. You know what would be fun, though, to do to do a show from a wine tasting, a club, wine club tasting. We could do a broadcast from wine club hey, tasting. Hey, don't, don't try to take that idea. That was already, that was already oh, one of my ideas. That okay, was, well. That, that, would be another, that. that would be another logistic. Uh, yeah, you think, you think we have trouble with our sound now. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, we, I, would have, we might even have to enlist uh, Jim Logan. We might have to get – Jim Logan might, might even have to come in on, on that one. Yeah. Not that, not that's that our right. engineer isn't professional, but we might have to go to who, the next level. Who knows? Yeah. That's right. That's well, you right. know, I, we will talk more about the the, uh, the Barvino story. Uh, I know we're going to hear more about that, but I'm sitting here with this glass of wine next to me and I keep sniffing it. We should talk about why we're doing today's show today. And, and, and here's an interesting sort of a segue to this because, um, as we know, we all stand on, on the shoulders of the greats that came before us. And I think Matt would agree. As a student of wine, the reason that uh, we're doing this show is because when this show is going to be released, it's going to be released on May the 19th, right? which um, is a Wednesday. But four days later is one of the most important days in the history of American viniculture, and that was when we had the Judgment of Paris. And we took 12 wines over to France, and the French had 12 wines. And there's a whole lot more to the story, but in in essence, it was it was the David and Goliath story it changed, of, of it what changed, happened in viniculture. Changed the global view of wine. It did at that time, not only California and American wine, but eventually globally. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, but I think we, I mean, it, it really it wasn't a pebble in the pond. It was it was a meteorite in in the middle of the pond, and because of what. And I don't think I'm being all that dramatic. I think because of what happened on that one day in Paris allows you, Matt, to do what you do today as far as the offerings and the quality and all of the things that go along with American wine now and and international and international wines. Right. I mean that that day was very important. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. Um, it it put us on the map. I don't think it was a definitive uh, resolution that that American wines are better than French wines, but it definitely said that 
we make really good wine yeah. here in the United States. And um, the most wonderful thing about wine, in my opinion, is that it's always different. And and the only thing to me that's really anti-wine is wine that's always the same. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wine that's always the same, with a with a vintage of XYZ Chardonnay that's always exactly the same, like the Bud Light-ism, but it's just not the most exciting thing about wine. And and to me, the judgment of Paris proved that wine's different and people's palates change. And the judges that were at the infamous tasting, their palates may have changed and they were really looking for something that they really wanted and it may not have been what they were delivering or what they what they could deliver. And and for that reason alone, I think that the the whole the whole blind tasting was pretty monumental and blind tastings are always monumental these these were these were some of the leading wine experts and sommeliers and restaurateurs in all of france maybe not maybe not some of they were they were the they were the best they They were were they they were the they were the best this was put together by uh, an interesting cat named stephen spurrier right he was an english guy yeah and there's and uh, I'm going to refer to a book often uh, that was written by a guy named George Tabor, and I consider this book to be the definitive book on on the Judgment of Paris. It is also one of the best history lessons you will ever read on California, on how we got California wines the way we did. But towards the end, Tabor made sort of a comment. He said, this may have been the ultimate way that an Englishman got back at a Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed my ass off. It was so good. But anyway, one of the one of the wines we we have one of the uh, we have one of the wines and and uh, we had in the tasting there were six uh, six whites and there were six reds. Twelve wines. Total? Yes, yeah. and so there was there was six French and six American. And so uh, the first tasting that they did was white. And so, um, and and by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie Bottle Shock. Right. This actually did take place at the Intercontinental Hotel in a section of the ballroom. It, yeah. I know it, at the end of Bottle Shock, it looks really nice that they're in this little little some, French courtyard thing. Rustic open air. Rustic open air. Got to uh, call BS on that one because yeah, yeah. that really didn't happen. As a matter of fact, there was a wedding party that was getting ready. <laughs> they had to kick. They kicked them out at six o'clock because a wedding party was getting into the ballroom at the hotel. They call that artistic license. They do a little artistic wines, but yeah, it, it, it didn't hurt anything. But anyway, one of the one of the wines they they that Stephen Spurrier wanted was from uh, Chateau Montelaine. Can you give me a little little your thoughts on Chateau Montelaine? I mean, there's no doubt that Chateau Montelaine Chardonnay specifically has been a cornerstone of of California winemaking. Their wine has has coined a a. a an entire style of Chardonnay, uh, the Montalena, the Montalena style. And it's not overly oaked. It's not overly alcohol. In my opinion, it's not overly oaked or overly alcoholic. It's more Burgundian in style than most of the household names in Chardonnay. I can't really speak to the styles of the other Chardonnay producers in the in the famous tasting, Shalone, and maybe help me with a couple other of the Chardonnay producers from California, they they haven't they haven't continued that style in in, in to my knowledge haven't haven't uh, continued that style of Chardonnay making. This is the kind of Chardonnay, California Chardonnay that I really love to drink. Um, it's 
easygoing. It's not overly oaked, and it's really nice with a big variety of foods. And and it's and it's great on its own. And you don't get tired of it. I don't know about you guys, but I more often than not like to enjoy wine, maybe by the bottle. And there are a lot of really great Chardonnays that I like that I just want to have one glass of. But the Montalena Chardonnay and the Montalena red wines, the Zinfandel and the Cabernet, are very easy to drink continuously. You don't get worn out from them. And the the most amazing thing about Montalena Chardonnay specifically is the nose. Right. And what, it's got a what beautiful have, nose. Yeah, absolutely. And what we have right now is 2016 Montalena Chardonnay, and it's not super cold. It's probably closer to red wine temperature, which is what I prefer. And the nose is amazing. The it nose is. is so great that you don't even really have to drink the wine to experience the wine. You're exactly right. You can, yep. you can taste this wine from smelling it. You sure can, and it is. It's 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 deep. There's depth. There's layers of on the nose, and there's layers on the palate. Layers of flavor. Yeah, I I like some oaked buttery Chardonnay, and this is it's it's mild. But you're right. You can go back to this over and over again. It just doesn't it doesn't get old. And I'm not a big oak fan, as we all know, but this isn't. It there is enough. There's just a touch. There's there's a t- there's 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 a scooch there. Right. But, um, but it is it is what I would call old style California Chardonnay in that it is not that citrusy grapefruit that has become popular lately. The yep. fruit, the real fruity Chardonnays. So now this is my kind of Chardonnay. Yeah, the, the the thing that I really love about almost all wines, my, my favorite wines are are fairly high in acid and not high in acid out of out of balance, but but high in acid in general. And when I, whenever I taste this wine, I get a good whiff, and it smells amazing, and, and it has fruit flavors, and, and it almost smells rich, but it's not super rich on the palate. And then when I taste it, it makes me bring my, my cheeks closer to my eyes, and it, it makes me do this, <laughs> which no one can see me now. Yeah. But it's, it, a, it's, it, a, it's a podcast mic, Matt. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's it, all right. It makes me squint my eyes together and my, my cheeks come up high close to my eyes. And that's that's the – to me, that's the acid that makes me do that. And I just – it's refreshing. It's bright. And, and not real high alcohol. It's a 13 – it's a 13.6 uh, alcohol. So it's not – and that's so the reason the reason um, that I'm getting that sensation and those and those uh, tastes is because they typically pick a little bit early. Which the later you let your uh, the later you pick, the higher alcohol you will get from your from your grapes, and the lower the acid. The sooner you pick, the lower the alcohol will be, and the higher the in general, the higher the acid will be. And I think, generally speaking, Montalena picks a little bit earlier than, say, the Rambauers of the world um, because it's a different style of wine. And well, the other thing you you say acidity, and I like that too. But and it's I like I don't know too. where the crossover is. I see what you did is. there. I see what you did. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I amaze myself. <laughs> but I I almost I liken it to a minerality. And I you know I grew up when I grew up we had a, a driveway that was limestone chat. And the dust in the summertime would get in your mouth. And it's almost what I taste, that limestone dust, dry, but not, you know, but a slate or a limestone almost flavor on, uh, that goes well with the acidity. It's very well balanced. Absolutely. It doesn't stand out, but I really like that yeah, on the so, back end. So those those flavors can be masked by 
other things that you can promote in the way your wine tastes. And that could be alcohol and oak and malolactic fermentation. So you do those three things. You go, you go for higher alcohol, you go for a bunch of new French oak and, and malolactic and hundred percent malolactic fermentation. You can lose those things. And that to me, Keith, you helped me describe exactly the Montalena style and the, the burgundy that we had earlier. It's, it has those same characteristics, that limestone minerality. And you stole, you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder. I, I thought that this was an original um, description of minerality. And I, whenever anybody asks me what that tastes like, I said, well, have you ever, and we're here in the middle of Missouri. And we all know that the, that the middle of the summer gravel road trips can produce lots of the aromas that you were just describing that that limestone gravel dust and to me the best way to describe um, to the locals here in mid-missouri what minerality is is 35 miles an hour down a limestone gravel road in the middle of july or beginning of august right and it just starts to rain Ah, nice. When that rain starts to knock the dust down, that's when you get the most amazing non-wine aroma that we have to offer in Missouri. Maybe save for wildflowers. That's perfect. I love it. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, and this, or or when the, or when the uh, the sprinkler. Goes yeah, over. the sprinkler Absolutely. goes over when you're, yes. when you're watering the lawn, and the sprinkler washes over onto the. That's hot water. That's hot water. Yeah. 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 This this wine reflects the the winemaker at the time, which was Mike Gregich, mm-hmm. and he was an immigrant, and he uh, he worked for several of the different. Well, he worked for Mondavi. He worked for several of the different wineries there in in California. But what Mike did was he liked his fruit picked early. And there's a little line that says, you know, that's kind of a, when when you're buying your fruit, the the fruit growers, they want their grapes big and fat and weigh a lot because they would pay paid, them paid by the time they were paid by the exactly. by the box, you yeah. know. And uh I think uh, I think that Greg was a great lobbyist because he would go out and he had a great relationship with with the farmers. And right. so he would get his uh, grapes maybe a little bit earlier than what they wanted to give him, but it was because of that he got better flavor. He was, he he left Montalena and now is uh, Grigich uh, Vineyards. Vineyards. Yep. He is, so he has his, he 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 is an American success story because what he really wanted from the first day that he was you know doing you know cleaning out vats and stuff was at some point I want to own my own land. I want to own my own vineyard. Right. And uh, that's a that was a a story that that sort of plays itself out when you're looking at the history of. Uh, of California wines, yeah. it was it was interesting. So, yeah. in honor of the uh, the tasting, we're drinking today the 2016 Chateau Montalena Chardonnay. Yes, and this is this is still accessible. You can still you know this is sure, out there. Right? What, what and Brett, what's the price point on this? I don't even know. This one I think is in the forty five. About uh, forty five. You're, you're putting me on the spot here. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Ask the dude than, that owns the store. Maybe <laughs> he would less know. than fifty dollars on the shelf. Okay. All um, right. Is is typically the the Montalina Chardonnay. Yeah. Yep. But what you're drinking is what you're drinking is a bottle of history right here too. I mean, <laughs> you really yep. you really are. Uh, this is this is one that when you have a party, 
uh, look up the Judgment of Paris, and uh, you can talk a little bit about this one because it's got this got all the history in the world right well, here. I don't care where it's from or how old it is or how much it costs. This is a fine Chardonnay. Yeah, I mean that's the bottom line. This is a really good Chardonnay. Well, and, when they uh, did the tasting, uh, I'll run through the top ten because what they did was they actually they they did the whites first, and then they actually um, I think they tallied them up. According to the and movie, so according to the movie, freaked. they knew the results of the whites before they got to the reds. Yeah, yeah, and that freaked everybody out. It freaked everybody yeah. out. In the movie, some of the greatest reaction shots oh. are when they announce the winner being the the California Chardonnay, and the French judges <laughs> are in they are slack jawed in well, disbelief. And see, George Tabor. The guy that wrote this book was the only member of the media that was there. Right. None of the French people wanted to have anything to do. None of the French writers, the the big wine writer, because they, they thought it was a blowout. It was like yeah. this, you know. It was like the NFL playing a high school team. They right. didn't care. They weren't going to be there. Thought it was a waste of their time. So this guy, and and honestly, Tabor said, if I had anything else to do that afternoon, I was probably going to do it. You know, but. I thought, okay, I'll go to this. Brett, and what is I'll the name of this. I know Tabor wrote it. What is the name of the book you've the, been referring to? The name of the book is Judgment of Paris, California versus France, and the historic 1976 Paris tasting that revolutionized wine. But it's actually Judgment of Paris, uh, George Tabor, T-A-B-E-R. And, uh, One of the longer titles of any it's of a, It's a little long. I think you could just use <laughs> – just just Google Judgment of Paris yeah. and uh, Do the short Google George Judgment Tabor. of Paris. He'll find it. Yeah. But number number ten was David Bruce. Are you familiar with the, the David Bruce? Their wine went bad, so I, I think I can't say that I, I'm, yeah, I'm, emba- they, I'm almost embarrassed. They, to say they I, used, I don't. I'm not familiar. Yeah, well, they used a twenty point system, and um, <laughs> I guess it must have gone stink on them or something because they got I don't know how many points they got, but it was not very many. Uh, the other one was Vetercrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, and now you're going to have to help me with my with my French. Oh gosh, uh, Puy Montrachet. 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 Sorry, yeah. Montrachet. Puy Montrachet. Yeah. And then uh, Batard Montrachet. 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 One of the most famous Chardonnay vineyards in the world. That was seventh. Yeah. Then you get up to Freemark Abbey mm-hmm. from uh, Napa. from California. Yep. Yep. And then uh, Buen Clote Moche, which was French. And then fast, fast with confidence, okay. Mr. Jones. Yeah. And then uh, spr- and a little bit, a little air of snobbishness in your voice. I've, I've tried. <laughs> Buen Claude de Mouche. How's that? Claude de Mouche. Claude de Mouche. Yeah. Number four was Spring Mountain. Yep. And then number three was Chalon. Chalon. Yep. yep. And then number two was their Mosal. Yep. Yep. Very, very uh, famous region in Burgundy. Yeah. But here's the other thing the chapter has. We get we were in the three of the top yeah, three, five. That's three out of the top five. So that drove them crazy too. And then they hadn't gotten to the red ones yet. Yeah. So um, and then and, top two, top two Chardonnays. We know uh, number one. What was Mer- number two? Marisol. Oh, Marisol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in the movie, it was interesting, and again, uh, allowing for artistic license. You but know, they got uh, it pretty. I mean, no, they they took artistic license, but they kept it pretty historical right. as far as the actual. Judges, they had their names. They yes. had the exact people. Oh, they were very uh, accurate on that. The other thing was about you, – you mentioned about one of the bottles going bad. Part of the challenge that Spurrier faced was getting these California bottles back to France in time for them to – apparently when bottles travel at high altitude, 
like that. They do go through some changes, and they have to be allowed time to settle. Is that is and, that is that called bottle shot? It bottle is shot. Bottle shot. Oh, okay. Hence okay. the name of the movie. Okay. But but part of it was timing, and uh, Mr. Barrett, who was opposed to getting involved in this thing, yep. and his son Bo was the one who snuck these bottles in and got them in. When he decided it was okay to do it, he, he thought, well, I can't get my bottles there in time. And his son tells him, they're already there. They're already I snuck there. them in. Now, I don't know if that part is true or not. I have to think it is. What what but, really happened, they, they had this scene at the airport. Right. But here's... Actually, the, the real story is even better than that because they actually had a tour with a bunch of uh, vineyard folks from California that were going to France. The irony was they were in France at the same time as the judgment. Yeah. But they were visiting chateaus and stuff. Just coincidence. They, they yeah. were asked to take the bottles one at a time in their suitcases. Right. And they met them then and they got the wine. Laws at the time where you could only carry on one bottle from yep. California onto the airline. And so uh, Mr. Spurrier, who had two cases. Yeah. He was like, I need help. I can't, you know, I can't carry on this wine. I can't put it in in cargo storage. It, that's, you know, that'll no. destroy it. Temperatures. Yeah, bad. temperatures, vibrations, that kind of thing. So it, in the movie, you did not, uh, it did not say that it was a, a wine club or a, a wine tour that helped him carry it over They there. were actually like, I want to say they were at like Chateau Latour or something after this was over. Yeah. And it got back to them and they were very cool. They were with their French guests. They got back on the bus and went batshit. Yeah. They started cheering, and I mean, it was like they'd won the football game. Couple, they helped. They helped the team win. They the helped the. Game. It yeah. Was, yeah. They brought the footballs. Yeah, they were. The, they were the managers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, they I, were. First of all, uh, Alan Rickman, who is, plays is, 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 the, the, the late the great, best. Uh, phenomenal actor, and his some of his. Um, Facial, just the eyebrow. Well, we, a look. We talk about tasting act, something. acting with her face, acting without and words. This yes. is absolutely. He's Rickman phenomenal. Is phenomenal. He's phenomenal. At that. The, yep. the supporting cast is very, very good. And another character that came out of this thing was Gustavo, the Latino uh, worker at at the vineyard, who eventually has his own line now. Very successful winemaker. He lives in Mexico, but I think he has wine in California and stuff like that. So there's a lot of success stories out of this this movie. And the other thing that I really enjoyed was the look that they captured for 1976 Napa Valley and California wine country. Dirt roads. No big palatial wineries or, or tasting rooms. In fact, they, when, when Rickman goes to visit all these places, it's a running joke that they – he thinks he thinks he needs to pay them for a tasting. They've never been paid for tastings before. Tastings before are always free to try and get you to buy some wine, and it, and they're all like, the, the guy ahead of him's like charging for the tasting. He'll pay you for the tasting. And there's a scene when he yeah. comes back. All the winery guys are, hey, here's my wine. Yeah. Here's my wine. You know, so yeah. Jim says, me, take his me. money. Yeah, take his money. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a running gag. Keith, that is what I loved about that movie so much. Is Rickman would get that glass and he would take that sip and it was so understated in what because you can re i mean you could hear him think yes and he's like oh my god you this know, doesn't suck this Brad, this is really it good even, it even started before he smells it though because it's he picks up the glass like it's not like this this is just gonna be and he puts it to his nose and it's like hmm 
this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then he tastes it and it's like, hmm, this is really – this couldn't be possible. Let me taste it again. And they even did it with stuff like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. And, and he takes a bite. He's like, in the car and he's traveling yeah. in this gremlin. It's a 1975 gremlin <laughs> that breaks down all the time. And he's got a map, an old, you know, accordion folding map that he's he's lost. But he's got a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and he's he picks it up. It's it's obvious his first taste. And he's he, he, such he a snot. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, I can't believe I'm eating this. And he takes a bite and is like. Oh my God! This is unbelievable. Oh, it's, it's so funny. He's so good, Matt. But then you had the you had the infamous scene with with Montalena where they had the wine. They had the they had the Chardonnay. I think it's interesting, Matt, because they said yes, you can make a wine too perfectly, right? Which is evidently there were no oxygen, none that was in that wine, and he was. The winemaker was absolutely fanatical about in the process there would be no wine in the bottle. Well, no oxygen. No oxygen. oxygen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, there needs to be wine in the bottle. Yes. So no oxygen. <laughs> no oxygen in the bottle. Well, and the lesson was there needs to be a little oxygen. There in has the bottle to be too. because yeah. there's an enzyme or something that actually turned it brown. It turns the wine. It turned the wine brown. And there's a great scene. Bill Pullman's in. It. He, yeah. he yeah. plays, uh, he uh, plays Barrett, Mr. Barrett, the yeah. owner, and he's just drunk on his ass, and he's sitting in in the winery there. It's all brown. It's, yeah, all it's all brown, brown, and he's got bottles all over it, and they're looking at this stuff. And, and they like, ship it off to get rid of it. They, yeah. He calls the guy to haul it off. Thank, and, and I, again, I don't know how accurate this is. But, but those two bottles are, were already gone. Yes. And, and Bo's going, uh, and that's what he told his old oh, we sent those bottles. And well, was, and according was, to the movie, a local was, bar owner salvages the stuff that they were going to – I don't know, again, how accurate that is. but That makes for a good or better story. A good I like A gooder story. Don't let the facts get in the way of good stories. That's right. right? That's, that's right. But then they, they realize that it will change back. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was cool. They go to UC Davis and ask what happened. Yeah. And he's like – no, it's all he's right. Like, well, if you get too much oxygen, and he's like, no, 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 no oxygen ever. And he goes, okay, I've never seen it, but I've heard of this. Yeah, that if there's not enough oxygen in the process, it'll turn brown. In a couple of days, it'll turn back, and it did. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It's <laughs> a great movie. It. Bottle Shock is a great movie. If you like movies about wine, it should be probably at the top of your list. Yeah, it's and, it's uh, uh, for 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 us wine folks. It's kind of one of those you know you got sideways and you must got, see. It's must a must. See. Yeah. It's a must see. Yeah. It's it entertaining is. even even without the without the wine tie in. It's incredibly entertaining and fun to watch. Oh yeah, you don't have to be a wine lover to watch this movie. It's it's just a good story. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you want to read this book and then watch the movie, you'll enjoy it even more. I think because there's yeah, I mean there's some. Some license. I mean, you gotta you gotta have a love interest, and you know, you've sex gotta, scenes. You've gotta have sex scenes and stuff. Yeah. Hey, Bon Vivants! You know, when we like that too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver, helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself or... You can hand things over to him and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, 
visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. And thanks to Greg for sponsoring the podcast. Just just so we know, then they went to the Reds. So then it was time uh, to go to the Reds. They actually gave George Tabor the list of the wines. He knew what they were drinking. So you talk about acting with your face. George is sitting over there watching these judges, and he knew. Nobody else in the room knew, but he knew what they were drinking. And he is having a ball because they're freaking out. Yeah. They don't know. And so consequently, they're so trying to bust down the California wines that they're giving them these terrible scores. And then when they're wrong, it's, you know, they're busting down their own, their own French wines bad. Yeah. And it's having just the opposite effect of what's going on. Yeah. The Monteleon won by quite a bit. It, it had a pretty good margin. But the number one was Stag's Leap from California, and uh, it was number one of the Reds. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. of the Reds. Both, both, and both those bottles are actually in the Smithsonian. Did nice. you know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They commemorated that that judgment in Paris and and what it did to the California wine business, and they have uh, their own display in the Smithsonian. But it's a little interesting when you consider the fact that Chateau Montan Rothschild was second, you know, and then you had – uh, Montreux, Chateau Montrose, and then you had Haubriand was fourth. Uh, you had Ridge Montebello from Ridge uh, Montebello. We got fifth. Oh, so just recently, I I had the opportunity to buy three bottles. Uh, I think it was sixteen or seventeen. So three three bottles. Uh, I think the state of Missouri got a few three bottle cases, and and Ridge Montebello, and still today a very very incredible vineyard. You know, as we're talking about this and all these wines and blind tasting, it's really making me salivate. And really, like we we have to create, we have to recreate. We do this tasting. I know, and, 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 and it's been done through through time. There was a ten year anniversary. There was tasting. a ten and there a, was 20. a twenty. Yep. And 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 we and won them. We yes, still won no. them. Yeah, the American that wines was still and that, those were, those recreations were the exact same wines. Right. Like this this those. Exact wines because one we, of the we things need to recreate it though in our own in our own price point world because right now we can't we can't put Obreon we can't put Obreon in our blind tasting right it's it's a thousand dollars oh yeah was, well so is some of these others too I mean not the California wines not that's, the California that's, yeah that's, that's to me what I have a big problem with like the French wines are beyond my ability to buy right especially the wines that were in that tasting and that's what is mind-boggling to me about this event was you know maybe maybe in the 70s these wines were closer to being the same price range but now it's way out of whack yeah well the french came up with every excuse under the sun and one of them was well they were too young and believe me if you wait 10 years by golly and we do this again <laughs> we're going to we're going to win this thing well they did wait 10 years and no they did <laughs> no they didn't win again yeah. which i thought was what i thought was great the other ones number 6 was chateau louis uh, la case and then uh, seven was the heights martha's vineyard the heights the martha heights, yeah. martha's vineyard Clodeval, which mm-hmm. is a common name, uh, a French for, for a French for winery wine. in Napa. Yes, right. yep. They make, some, they make some great Cabernet. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it 
Maya Camus. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Maya Camus was, and then fast uh, with confidence. Just with confidence, you Maya got Camus. it. And then uh, Freemark Abbey was tenth mm-hmm. for for the Reds. Reds. But I mean, you look at that list of wines. My gosh, the fact that little old Stags Leap, who's a winemaker, actually was from Chicago. He was a philosophy major. He was a philosophy. He well, we, he went and taught philosophy you know, on his spare time, they, but he made. So Stax, many of those winemakers wine. out there, so many of those winemakers out there in the, you know, they moved out there in the, the late 60s, early 70s. They were they were all college graduates who had varying degrees. A lot of them were MBAs. They wanted to drop out of the corporate world. They had the money to buy some property or buy some vineyards, and they wanted to get into winemaking, uh, and they, they did it. They studied. They had the brains to do it. Most of them, not their natural uh, wasn't their, their history. Did, wasn't they, their family business? They didn't have the family history. But That's they didn't exactly. know a thing about making wine. No. Absolutely, their yeah. fathers and their grandfathers were not their mentors in making wine. Right, and that and that is the ultimate overall arching thing when you consider the fact that although Matt, you know, you see like eighteen fifty eight or eighteen seventy, eighteen eighty, or whatever on some of the California vineyards, the fact is that. We had three things that happened out there that weren't good for the wine industry and basically knocked out the entire California wine industry. First, World War One didn't help. Then we had Prohibition. And then we had World War Two. So all the guys were there. weren't anybody that worked there. So when you consider the fact that most of the innovation that happened in wine happened really in about a period between 1955 and 1975 in California in that small amount of time yeah. – and you're going up against these vineyards in France that some well one of them what was the one I mean it was 1299 or I mean we're they talking, go all the way back to the Middle Ages centuries of history yeah. yeah and so I the more you analyze what happened on that one day and you think about, and you think about the fact that we came so far so fast yeah. it was it surprised was, everybody it was certainly pretty, it was pretty amazing certainly it was pretty amazing well that was fun and. Um, we will certainly be celebrating that uh, again. I think we're we going to count on you to help us celebrate that. I with think a, we should magnum. get together on the twenty fourth, all of us, including the studio audience, and we will have a big day. We'll have a we big, will have the Judgment of Paris Day. We'll here. have the Judgment of Jefferson City. That's, That's what right. we'll do. Yeah, we'll I would say a, a, an appropriate bottle that doesn't fit precisely into the tasting, but a magnum bottle of Chateau Montalena Estate Cabernet. Ooh. Of a semi-recent vintage would be a great celebratory bottle. That'd be great. And that is one of the things about the show, Matt. You know, we, we taste the wine early and we drink throughout the show. So. Yes. I want to go back a little bit uh, to Matt's Barvino journey because I'd, I'd like to know just a little bit about how you – know, what were some of the key steps that made I, – I met you before you were – at Barvino. Absolutely. And so – You saw the whole journey, I, really. I saw a lot of it, but I don't know a lot of the detail about what were some of the key steps that got you where you wanted to go. Even like location and how you you rehab that space because I know what it looked like before you took it over. How much and, time do we have? Well, you know, I, <laughs> hit, the, hit the high points. I think it's a good story for small business development. It is. And especially in a business that we love because we have a passion and – I know nobody more passionate about the wine business than you are. And so, you know, just tell us about some of the key key things that went into opening Barvino and, and maybe then what you see down the road. Well, um, first of all, I, I really love to be um, an ambassador for small 
business um, creation. But, um, you know, my industry is not the industry to be really excited about joining. That's my, my disclaimer is, is that it's a tough business. It's not, um, build a bar and then people will come in and then you make money. It's incredibly more difficult and, um, a lot more painful than what it sounds like. Barbino got its start with a bottle of Robert Mondavi Fume Blanc back before I was old enough to legally drink. And it was it was Robert Mondavi's Fume Blanc that I tasted and really liked. Was that your aha moment on wine? We ask we I ask know. our guests sometimes if there was an aha moment. Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. It it wasn't it wasn't aha. It was it was just that I liked it and I enjoyed it. And it was good. And it was fun. And it was wrong, you know. It was like it was illegal. So, like, I enjoyed it even more. Maybe, sure. yeah. Um, so that was that was that was the very beginning. And skip forward a long time, a lot of years, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna foreshadow if that's the right word uh, to a point to where we were in the middle of construction at Barvino, and I was sitting. On the mezzanine, sands railing across the front of the mezzanine, and I was sitting there talking to a reporter, and he asked me, "Yeah, but is this your? Is this like a dream come true?" I looked away from him, and I looked distantly into the <laughs> into the dramatic pause. Yes, <laughs> and I was like, "No, this has not been a lifelong dream at all. I I, I don't know how I've gotten here." Um, but it's where I've ended and this is what I want to do. And I was enjoying it at that time. And that was in the middle of construction. So we'll, we'll go back to the Robert Mondavi Fume Blanc. And I, I, I went to Lincoln and then I was doing some electrical work and then, um, a pretty decent, in my opinion, a pretty decent recession happened in the 07 world and no one was building anything. And so was doing electrical work and I really loved doing that and uh, needed some extra money. We were my my wife and I had just gotten married and we were new homeowners and I needed a little bit more cash and so I started um, bartending at the country club, which is where I met you, Keith. Right. First first met you and by uh, by attrition by lots of things. It wasn't too long before I was in charge of the country club for the for the food and beverage area and uh, mainly the beverage area. And that's where I really got bit by the wine bug and really started to explore wines and, and look at different wines and different avenues to, to make money in the restaurant. And, and wine is the way for making money in the restaurant. And so that led me to um, working for a wine importer and distributor. And um, I was working again in the area uh, selling wine for Pinnacle Imports, which um, they're absolutely one of the best um, importers in the Midwest and distributors in the state. And finally, working for the distributor in mid-Missouri, which I was covering the Jefferson City area, Columbia, and the Lake of the Ozarks, I finally just kind of got fed up with not having someplace really cool to go. And so I started beating around the bush and asking my wife if she 
thought it was a good idea to open our own place, our own wine bar, our own restaurant, our own place that had good wine and nice wine glasses. And she was cautiously skeptical about the program. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know. And, and I just uh, kind of kept doing a little bit more and more work toward that. And eventually it was just like, okay, this can work. It's not going to be a complete failure. It'll, it might work. It's probably not going to be a huge loser. And so, so <laughs> it's not going to suck too bad. Not being a huge loser isn't a, a ringing. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, let's do it. And, um, so it was about maybe my, maybe my, uh, past employers will never hear this podcast and won't hear me say this, but it was about uh, three or four months, five or six months before I told them that my what my plan was, um, and I started basically working two full time jobs to get to get Barvino started and to still represent uh, and cover my my obligations with Pinnacle and and get the and get the balls rolling. Yeah, well, I got I got to give kudos to Ashley, your wife, because I know how supportive she's been, and I see her down there, and I see the pride that she has in Barvino, and you, and so you you've got a good one there, and I think uh, I, I'm very happy for you guys both. So there's there's no yeah. doubt what whatsoever that it couldn't have done it couldn't have been done without the two of us. Yeah, um, it was a it was a team effort, and um, and and that being said. Um, it it was a team effort in more than just my wife and I. It was a team effort of our the other two families, the other two business partners that I have in the in the venture, and and we've all made our huge contributions. And it's it's been a magical thing and a really great thing. And we're and we're really happy to to honestly still be around at all. <laughs> we're so happy to have you yes. around here. It's a it is a gem in the crown. Of beautiful downtown Jefferson City, there's it no, is, and no I'm you know we're it. we're both downtown guys too, and I yeah. think that I think we're we're most proud of the fact that you found a found a place down there, and uh, we 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 love downtown Jefferson. Yeah, City. we do. So great story, great reminiscence of the Judgment in Paris. So the third part of the show, Matt, is three top picks. All right, so now we could do something very boring like three top bottles of wine, but that's just. You know. Wait a minute! I thought that's what it was. No. Well, we've—I <laughs> thought it was the three my, my three favorite wines. That's what I've been preparing for. I know you, and I know you can't pick three favorite favorite wines. So, so we would be here all day with that. But here's what we're going to do: because we know we did a little research, we know that you are an outdoorsman. You're a rock climber. I know you spend a lot of time on the rivers, floating and canoeing with your your family, camping. Um, so we thought three top. Natural wonders that either you visited or want to visit, and then why? So the stories behind it are as much fun as just the three top picks. Absolutely. And here's what we do: once you get in the top three, they don't have to be in any order unless you want to put them there. And we'll do them one at a time. So you do one, Brad, and I'll do one, and we'll go around three times. But the guest always gets to start, so awesome. you get to go first. So I, I, I will put, I will put mine in order. Okay. Um, and I'm going to start with number three. All right. And. Uh, unfortunately, none of my top three picks I have ever been to, which That's okay. is which is why I picked them. So they're bucket list. I really, really want to go to these three places. Really want to go to these three places. 
Um, so, so number three is, is the Great Barrier Reef, uh, right along the theme of, I like to get outdoors and do things. Uh, my wife and I have been on a half a dozen to a dozen scuba diving trips and, um, and the Great Barrier Reef would be, I mean, that's, that's the Mecca and, and the, so my other two, my, my prelude to the other two top three picks that I have are also pinnacles of, of their genre. Yeah. So the Great Barrier Reef, never been to Australia, um, would really love to go out on a, on an all day scuba diving excursion and, and check out the things that are kind of beyond this world. I, I mean, didn't know you were scuba diving. You've seen pictures, right? Oh yeah. Like yeah. we've all seen pictures and, and that's what I'm, um, um, like my top three picks are all things that I've seen pictures of and right. never touched or seen with my own eyes. So. Right. And, uh, yeah, I didn't know you were a scuba diver. We'll have to talk scuba diving sometime. Then. Absolutely. So, so my top one is, um, it is on the ocean. I'm a, I love the beach and the ocean. We had spent a lot of time in the Caribbean, but a couple of years ago, we had, ne- I'd never been to the Pacific coast of Mexico. And so we took a trip to Cabo San Lucas. And you've, you've seen pictures of this too, but I'd never seen it in person. Right off the coast of Cabo, there is this stone arch formation where the water has worn away stone and it forms a natural arch. And so the, the, they call it the arch at Cabo San Lucas. And so that's one of mine. And it's simply because we didn't, you know, we didn't boat out to it, but you could see it from the beach at our resort. And it's so prominent that I think most of the beach resorts along that section of Cabo San Lucas, it's visible from almost every point along that stretch. But it's it's amazing to look at it and think the time, the erosion, how was it formed, how was it, what, what happened geologically that it took the shape it did. It's a pretty vast stone feature. And so the the arch at Cabo San Lucas is one of the ones that I think stands out in my mind of places that I've seen. So if your podcast ever uh decides to film down there, just let me know. I'll tag along. We haven't branched out into video. No, yet, we're not yet. doing it. we're not yet. yet. We might someday. Yes. We I I have a face for radio, so that's, you know. All right, the one I have uh my first one, uh we went to Colorado a lot when we were when we were kids and is no secret. I am not a big fan of heights, um, and we went to the Royal Gorge. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's really high. <laughs> it's a really high bridge. <laughs> and, yeah, and I was like, mm, yeah, uh, I went out on it, but I, it, I, I found nine hundred and fifty-six feet down. It's way wow. down there. The Arkansas River's down there. Eventually, yeah, but it's uh, it's it's so beautiful. It is such a beautiful spot. I mean, and kind of historic. A lot of uh, they found a lot of bones and a lot of prehistoric stuff in that area. As a matter of fact, when my son and daughter and I went out and we went whitewater rafting, I think we were on one section of the Arkansas River. I don't. We didn't go through that part, but it's it's an absolutely beautiful uh, area of Colorado. The bridge was constructed in 1929, so it's been there a long time. It's, yeah. it's a big attraction. Yeah. It's a big attraction. But I remember it as a kid, and I just remember that that was really a long way down. Uh, for me as well, we, we went across the bridge, and it's uh, uh, something that you will never forget. 
most people will never forget if you walk across that bridge. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing architectural feat when you think about the fact that no they kidding. built it in 1929. Right. You know, they, that's so cool. They, you know, if you go to Colorado and you're in that area, you you might want to see if you can find it. Have they done anything on on that? Like they have the Grand Canyon and some other very high precipices. Where they build out, you know, like these acrylic floor protrusions that you can walk out on them, and it looks like you're suspended in air because you can see through them. They're they're transparent. I think that is probably the worst idea human yeah, you, beings ever freaking came up with. It's not for people like you, Brad. Not for people like Who you. Who would do that? I'm not sure. I'd be very comfortable on something like that. I'm not. I'm not a fan of. They, huge they do that in either. Dubai. Yeah, they do that in Dubai. Yeah. They did that on that cruise ship we were on, and I actually went out on it. They've got this little walkway that kind of juts out, and then you look down, and there's water down there. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. But But you can see the water, and you can – I can't say that I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. 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 All right. What else you got, Matthew? Um, So there was – it was pretty easy for me to pick my top three, Um, and they were all really well-known. But there was one that I really wanted to do, and I'll talk about that one before I tell you my number two. And oh yeah, so mention. so we cheat. Oh, we cheat all the time. Oh, we, okay. You can have an honorable. Yeah, mention you can have an honorable two. mention. We or cheat all the time. So yeah. my honorable mention is um, thirty minutes west of the Strip in Las Vegas. It's a National Reserve, and it's Red Rocks National <sighs> Reserve. Yeah. And it is Black Velvet Canyon. So if you go west of the Loop. There is a canyon that is monumental. No one's ever heard of it. No one cares about it. It's insanely beautiful. You drive 10 miles through the desert through nasty washout riverbeds and desert roads, and you get to a tiny little parking lot, and then you hike for an hour, two hours into this canyon. And this canyon is 15 to 20 feet wide. And on one side, it's 2,000 feet straight up. And on the other side, it's 1,000 feet almost straight up. And it's it's monumental. It is so far out there, but only 30 minutes from the Strip. And it's one of the coolest things that I've ever done that no one's ever heard of and no one cares about. Uh, but anyways. Where does it get the name Black Velvet? Black Velvet Canyon. So the as you walk in, it's the left wall which would be the northern facing wall so northern facing it doesn't get much sunlight and the the sandstone is actually stained black in Ooh, a lot of cool. areas cool um so that i'm sure that's where the name sure. comes from yeah, yeah and it's just it's one of the coolest uh rock climbs that any normal human could could climb it's it's medium grade and so it's accessible to average climbers like myself. So anyways, that's the honorable mention, Black All Velvet right. Canyon, Las Vegas. But my my real number two pick is Mount Everest. And not and not for the fact of climbing to the top of the tallest point on the planet. That is not my deal. But it is super cool. Like the mountain itself and the mountains, the Himalayas is incredible like we've all seen the movies we've all seen the documentaries we've all seen the the blockbuster movies about about mount everest but truly if you put all that aside and you just walk up to the base camp of mount everest it's incredible it's mind-blowing it's breathtaking 
It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a, a very treacherous part of the planet. Yeah. And even to yeah. be at the base of the mountain, looking at the mountain itself is incredibly difficult. And it's it's the quintessential monument of the planet. And it's the yeah. tallest, tallest point on Earth. And even to get there and to look at it, I think is is uh, is an accomplishment. So again, yeah. it's kind of a bucket list for me, sure. just to get there and to see it with my own eyes. Sure, definitely not to climb it. It's cold there. That's too. a <laughs> that's a whole other cold. issue. Yeah, it's very cold. It's so skiing, skiing in Winter Park, like you get to the top of the lift that like takes you up there. You don't even have to walk. <laughs> you just go up there, <laughs> and then you get get to the top, and you're out of breath. And you're not even halfway to the to the height of Mount Everest, and it kind of puts it into perspective. Like, I don't ever yeah. want to climb Mount Everest. I'd like to see it, but I wouldn't want to climb it. Altitude yeah. sickness doesn't sound like no. my idea of a. It's not fun. Climb. I like wine. I like wine. Yeah, <laughs> they got those fuzzy yaks too. Yeah, you know, those yeah. big hairy yaks. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason they've got a coat on. Yak milk though is <laughs> supposed to be really good for you. Um, yeah. So my second one is actually I'm kind of kind of combining two uh and it's because we saw them on the same trip but the fjords of norway are unbelievable and pictures don't actually do them justice but we were on a cruise so you get off of the boat and you ride this bus for a couple of hours up to the top of one of these things when you look back down from the the crest of the fjord down down to the water the ship the cruise ship is a speck so that's how vast they are you you really can't you can't explain in words how vast they are. And then when you – if you believe what they tell you, when you understand that they are as deep below the surface of the water as they are high above the surface of the water, it's really mind-boggling. It's, it's a really spectacular vista when you're at the top of one of those things looking down into it. It's cool while you're cruising them. There's a lot of cool things to see. Waterfalls all over the place because – they are what they are because they've been eroded again by by time and water and volcanic activity and that kind of thing. And then along with the vol- volcanic activity in Iceland, they have these geothermal baths. So the water is heated by geothermal activity below the surface. It's a volcanic island, and it heats these these mineral baths. And uh, it's really cool. You're in it, and it's so cold outside like the... The frost is sticking to your hair, and you have, like, frosted hair, but you're nice and cozy and comfortable from the shoulders down in this warm, bubbly water. And they're really they're really cool. There's nothing like them, at least that I've seen. Sulfur, sulfur there is a aromas. Sul- there yeah. is a sulfur-type thing. It's really actually supposed to be good for your skin. You know, we, we booked a, an excursion, and I thought, ah, okay, we'll go to the geothermal baths. But they're really pretty cool. I love those two together. Hot bubbly water is Hot always bu- good. Yes. I think. Yes. As we it is. as we have our advancing well, years. I think it, it is one of those things, you know, if you spend so much time at you kind of get out of it and you're kinda of like a wet noodle. Yeah. It's kinda of like <laughs> I don't know if I can walk back to the locker room. Uh, my second one is again when we were kids, I don't think it was the same trip, but um, we went to Mesa Verde, which I think is an amazing Absolutely. place in the United States. Um, it's a national park since nineteen oh six. It was uh, the Pueblo live there they think sometime between 600 and about 1300 AD but i would just remember the the impression it as a kid uh, how in the world did you build this into the sides of these cliffs this is just and people lived there for a very very long time 
they were agricultural folks, so they were farmers. And so the the theory is that uh, they had a major drought, or there there was something that happened that they they uh, couldn't grow crops and stuff in in the area uh, anymore. But and the the amount of artifacts and the things that they have found, they're still still finding oh, yeah. things from that from that area. As a kid, it, it just really intrigued me that you could live with a lot of other people in these in these dwellings that were condos yeah they were they were first condos kind of stuck back into this into that into that rock but i thought it was it was something that was my second one you know what what's awesome about your your picks so far keith and brad both they're places that you've been yeah and i've all, all my picks were places that I want to go. That's, That's okay. All right. That's okay. Oh That's yeah, right. no, I I agree. Yeah. I agree. Maybe maybe uh, Barrier Reef is on my bucket list. Maybe so I'll I'm get with to you go. There. Maybe we'll get to get to revisit those places and and go to the places that I'm that I'm picking. One of the reasons why my top pick is number one is because it's it's probably the most attainable for me to go to, and it's definitely the one that I want to go to the most. And as Keith said earlier. I've I've been a, a rock climber for a really long time. If you know anything about rock climbing or anything about natural wonders in the North American continent, you know that Yosemite Valley and El Capitan is is the mecca for climbing. And there was definitely a point in my climbing career, in my amateur adolescent climbing career, that I was once able to be able to climb something like El Cap. I really want to go there, really want to see it, really want to absolutely, no matter what stage of my life I'm in, walk to the top because there's a trail that goes to the top and there's, a, I think, a little bit more heinous trail that goes to the bottom. The trail would be good for me. I would yeah. do the, the yeah. trail is – Your feet hang, are like on the ground. Yeah, hanging well, by your just, fingertips doesn't help no, to be totally To be totally transparent, I think the, the, the quote-unquote trail to the top – I don't think is like a trail. I think it's you pretty think it's crazy. a little rough too. I think yeah. it's I think it's kind of crazy. I don't know for a fact, but I do know that I've watched lots of film and seen lots of pictures about stuff that I would really like to do on El Cap, and it's an adventure. It's a for most people, it's a three or four day adventure of climbing vertical rock. So three to four day adventure on climbing vertical rock means that you're sleeping. In a tent or a hammock hanging off hanging the side. Up, yeah, hanging off the side. And wow. it's super cool. It's no so beautiful. Freaking way. Yeah. Brad's on, out. I, it freaks me out just watching those guys hanging there in their little hammock. I, I don't know what to talk about. What was the movie that got great critical acclaim about the climber? And he was, I mean, he was free climbing this oh, rock wall. Free solo. Alex, I, I Alex Hunnold. I couldn't watch it. I could not watch it. It was too anxiety-inducing for no. me Alex to watch that. Alex is a freak. That. Well, I know. That's but, not normal. Well, yes, I know. That's and, not normal. But I couldn't even watch it. It was just like, hey, I can't do this. I can't watch this. It's making me too anxious. But but that, I think you're right, Matt. That's that's attainable. Absolutely. That's very yeah. – especially with your kids. I mean, next time, your I, go to, next time I go to California wine country, I'm going to make a pit stop and go a little bit further and yeah. go to Yosemite. Yeah. There you go. Maybe in the winter to avoid the crowds, but Yosemite – if you know anything about Angela, Angela Adams, yeah. he's, he could be an inspiration to go to Yosemite oh, in, and yeah. of, in and of himself. Oh, one of the yeah. great photographers of our day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That could be a great family trip. For sure. sure. For they sure. would love that. Yep. 
And, you know, speaking of family he, trips, that's my number three. Is um, It was a family trip to Canada, and on the way, we crossed at Niagara Falls. Nice. Okay. Now, it may seem like a cheesy choice, and I thought it was – I would have thought it was, too, until I saw it. Because you think, oh, you know, back in the 50s, we're going to honeymoon at Niagara Falls, you know, and it's like, oh, that sounds really corny. <laughs> but until you see it, I don't care how much video or photography you've seen of it, until you see it, I don't think you have an understanding, again, of the vastness and the size and scope of Niagara Falls. And and if you haven't seen it, and if you approach it from the U.S. side, Take the time to cross the border and go and see it from the Canadian side. It's a completely different view. Uh, you get a great, a much better idea and view of the Horseshoe Falls, which is the the more uh, picturesque side. Plus, you'll probably get your picture with a Canadian Mountie while you're over there. Our, our daughters were fairly young. In fact, Hillary, our youngest, was young enough that... Um, she was so short, and they, we, we took a ride on the Maiden of the Mist. So the Maiden of the Mist are these boats that you board, and they go up on. the river, and they go up into – yes, they give you plastic ponchos <laughs> because the mist from the falls is – it's like rain. It's But uh, it was just a great adventure, and we had a great time. But Niagara Falls is really uh, – it's one of those phenomenal natural wonders that I uh, I would put in my top uh, top three. My uh, my last one is an is a is a natural event, actually. Oh, that's against the rules. Wait, nope. wait, time no. out, time <laughs> out, it's time out. It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hear what it is it's, first. It it is a, it is a place, but it is it is a it is a natural event, and it happens every day. Do you know what we're talking about? Well, I'm going to guess is, Old is Faithful. The, the tide? But, nope. No, nope. nope. It is it is one of the few places that I have ever been that every day when you open a wine bottle. Nope. Oh, okay. Every day, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> That's an event too. That's a different event. It's the same. Event. It's the same daily event. It's a daily but, yeah. Event. But um, there is there is a place in the United States that every single day they celebrate the sunset. Now, do you know where it is? I do. It's Key West. It is Key West. Yes. Every day. Yeah. It is an amazing thing. Mallory Square. Uh, they celebrate every night, and they have all kinds of stuff. They got, well, <laughs> they had the cats. They have they have trained cats. That was kind of stupid, but they've got cats that do acrobatic stuff. They've got uh, all kinds of musicians and artists, and everybody comes out every night on Mallory Square to celebrate the the sunsets. And some nights you get a good one, and sometimes you don't. And sometimes it rains and you don't get a chance. But the sunsets of Mallory Square, I think, are one of the great natural events. And I mean, it happens every day, but not everybody celebrates it like they do down there. And I'm going to guess there is an opening of some kind of bottle involved in that every day also. They, they don't really care too much, Keith, about whether you've got open containers in yeah. Old Key West. So uh, haven't since the Pirates. Well, I stand corrected. I, I, I agree. That is a natural wonder. It is a natural The Earth wonder. spinning around. Yes. And blocking out the sun's rays is is a natural wonder. The you thing know, about it, Matt, is that it's different every night. Every single night, you'll have you'll have clouds or, or formations, right. and sometimes, I mean, you swear you're looking into heaven itself. And then there's other nights; it's not that great. But some nights you look out there, and and it's it's a painting. You know, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, yeah, and yeah. it's 
that's every night. They, you know, you can go see the the cats perform, or you can go listen <laughs> listen to the steel drum guys playing. Not to be but, confused with a performance of Cats, correct? <laughs> no, which I don't go <laughs> see. Number one on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, like, well, this has been great fun, and Matt, you mentioned if we do this again, we will do this again. I we'll promise again. we'll have you you back again. There's way too much wine and stuff to talk about to do it just in one show. So, and they have a table in the cellar room there that I think would accommodate our equipment nicely. I agree. We could easily yeah. do a show from Barvino. From Barvino, and probably should. That would be fun. Yeah. That would really be fun. <laughs> well, what would be really nice about it is we could, you know, shame. Matt into opening some really nice bottles for the show. And, uh, I don't ever like doing that. <laughs> Let's uh, make sure we get that on the calendar. We'll get that on the calendar. All right. All right. Matt, thank you very much, not only for being here today, but thank you again for your sponsorship of the, the podcast. You were one of the first ones on board, and you have been uh, instrumental in, in making this thing run, and we appreciate it so much. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because... We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.